excited to be with you guys. I'm going to be here this morning and then as well this evening and then on Thursday night as well. So you will get sick of me by the end of this week. But we're going to be doing a three-part series. We're going to take a break from the studies that Pastor Jeff was doing, and we're going to be doing a three-part series on discipleship. Today, entitled A True Disciple, then we're going to be talking tonight about the choice to change, and then on Thursday night, we're going to be talking about making disciples. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of this three-part series because this is the great command of the Lord. The great command of God is to go and make disciples. That is the responsibility of every believer. And so we want to look into our life and we want to see first, are we a disciple? But then as well, we want to go into, are we a part of making disciples? And so we will get there by Thursday night. If you've got your Bible, a couple of places of scripture I'd like for you to turn to. It's John's gospel chapter two. John's Gospel, chapter 2, we're going to take a look at what I believe is a true disciple. Um, She just blows my mind at every turn. And we're also going to be in Psalm 119, so you want to put your finger there as well. Psalm chapter 119, verse 105. And so that's John chapter 2, as well as Psalm 119. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you, and we are so thankful for your word. Lord, I I feel like my voice is almost hoarse from singing because you can't help but sing of how glorious you are. And so, Lord, we want to thank you for the worship. And now we pray that the word would penetrate our hearts and that we would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking this morning at a couple of true disciples. True disciples. Let's start first. It's John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Well, where I feel that maybe the Roman Catholics esteem Mary, well, to be in a place that possibly she should not be, Oftentimes, us Protestants, we will take a look at Mary, and because maybe the Roman Catholics will esteem her to this place, we don't consider her to be who she was. She was the most blessed among women, but even more than that, listen, she was an incredible disciple. This mother of Jesus, I believe, listen, was a true disciple that we need to learn from. Now, we have all, if you've been married, go ahead and raise your hand. If you've been married, all right, go ahead, raise your hand, you've been married. Well, you've had a wedding. Well, you remember when you were making your wedding list? On your wedding list, there were those people that, well, you had to invite. You know, like Uncle Tom. He's a little strange. Now, if you have an Uncle Tom or your name is Tom, I'm sorry, but listen, he's a little strange. You know, he always embarrasses everybody at the family picnics. He always says something out of control. And well, he's the guy that you have to invite to the wedding. And he really doesn't ever sit next to you at the wedding table. No, no, no. You put him on the outskirts because, you know, you have to invite Uncle Tom to come to the wedding. But then there's those people. Well, they're on the top of your list. 
the people that you actually want to invite to your wedding, the people that you're in relationship with, the people that you're close to. That's exactly what this Greek word means, invite. You see, this word invite means, please, Jesus, would you come to our wedding? It was an opportunity where Jesus was in the years of popularity. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. Everybody was intrigued with Jesus. Everybody wanted to be next to Jesus. They wanted Jesus at the wedding. It's the first of four points, being a true disciple. Listen carefully, number one, remember your first love. Now, if you're married, what I want you to do, go ahead and grab your wife's hand, grab your husband's hand. Go ahead and do that, okay? Go ahead and grab your husband's or your wife's hands, okay? Now, hold on, hold on tight. Feel the warmth, feel the love, you feel a little awkward, go ahead now, husbands, go ahead. Put your hand around your wife. Go ahead, go ahead, do it. Put your hand. Now, those of you who are married going, this is not fair. (laughs) You single ladies are out there looking around. Who doesn't have their hand around somebody? (laughs) This is church, not a club. Stop looking. Now, I want you to just stop for a moment and think about that first love. You remember the poems You remember roses are red, violets are blue, you're my love, I love you. You know, something you created, you would put flowers when she would come home, there would would be flowers at her doorstep. Oh, I remember my wife and I, we were having the most incredibly romantic moment. We were walking through this field of flowers when we were, before we were married in the midst of first love and we're walking through this field of flowers in North Carolina and she turns around and she's crying. And I'm like, Andrea, what's your problem? This is the most romantic moment you could possibly imagine. And she goes, Chet, you're supposed to bend down, pick up a flower, and give it to me. (laughs) And with every bit of romanticism I had in me, I said to her, Andrea, if you want a flower, just bend down and pick it up. (laughs) Oh, we have a lot to learn. But you remember she was just so forgiving because she was in love with me. Oh, the joy. She don't, if I don't bring flowers home now, it's a different story. But you remember the joy, the grace, the love of being in those first relationships. But you also remember first love. Oh, you remember the little bit of fights you used to have and the things that used to be such a big deal? Remember when you first got married, do you roll or do you squeeze the toothpaste? I need to know because this rolling thing has got to end. Oh, you remember first love. Sometimes with first love, it's just great joy. But sometimes with first love, well, you remember when you invited Jesus into your heart and life. Do you remember? Oh, it's that moment where you put your arm around your wife. Oh, it's so much joy. It's so much grace. But sometimes when you invite Jesus into your life, you lose your girlfriend. You lose your job. Sometimes you invite Jesus in your life. Your friends begin to change. Your job changes. Your life changes. Anyone ever invite, when you invited Jesus into your life, your world got a little rocked? Things began to change? And all of a sudden, when the pastor said, come to Jesus, all your problems will go away, you go, that ain't true. (laughs) He just redeems them. And there's a problem. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding And when they ran out of wine, we got a problem. They run out of wine. 
The mother of Jesus said to him in verse 3, they have no wine. You see, they've invited Jesus and his disciples come along with him. There's nothing like my family. When you invite my family over for dinner, we've got nine kids. I've got six grandkids. When you invite my family over for dinner, you're asking 27 people to show up. No, seriously. You will run out of food quickly. Imagine, Jesus, would you come to the wedding? And he brings 12 guys with him. No wonder they ran out of wine. (laughs) He shows up and now there's some problems. Listen, I want you for a moment to remember your first love, but I want you to see the second part of being a true disciple. The second part of being a true disciple, write it down, purpose to pray. You see, we've got the example of Mother Mary. Mary has a problem and she knows where and who to go to. She prays. Any kind of communication to Jesus is prayer. And she goes to Jesus and she says, we got a problem. They have no wine. You see, Charles Stanley, if you've ever read his book on prayer, listen to what he says. He says this, the quickest solution to a problem is the distance of your knee to the floor. But so oftentimes, we go to everybody else to figure out how to solve our problem. I'll never forget when I was a missionary in Liberia. You see, I'm into this solve my own problem thing. And we were coming back. It was late at night. It was about 1230 at night. And we were what we called behind the lines. We were in enemy territory. Liberia was in the middle of a civil war. And so we were trying to get out of this rebel territory and get into a peace zone. But the rebels had lined the road with nails. We had four flat tires. So we are changing our tires. We had two spare, but we've got two more that need tires. So we're stuffing these tires with dirt and grass and everything you can imagine just to get out of rebel territory. Well, all of a sudden, we hear this noise coming out of the bush. And this guy, he takes a machete and he swipes the machete on the ground. He walks up to us holding the machete like this. And a friend of mine who's with me, a Liberian fellow, he looks at him and he goes, who are you? And the guy with the machete up, he goes, I'm greater than God. Well, my friend looked at him and goes, this is my country. These are my people. And this is my land. And I'm going to let you know you may kill me tonight, but you are not greater than God. I was thinking in my mind, this is not my country. (laughs) This is not my people. And this is not my land. Could we be a little more diplomatic with this? So I bent down. Being the uh, diplomatic person that I am, I bent down and I picked up the tire iron that we were using to fix our tire. And I thought, what I'll do, he comes at me with a machete, I'll hit him over the head. In Jesus' name. So I stand up, and when I stand up, well, we had an old Toyota Tercel with a hatchback. Well, when I stood up, my head hits the top of of the hatchback, I pass right out. It's like God says, Chet, stay down. (laughs) When I woke up, it was hot and it was dark. And I go, oh, Lord, I didn't make it. (laughs) I said, please tell me we're not dead. And the guy that was with me goes, no, we're not dead. I go, what happened? He goes, Chet, I don't know. He goes, all of a sudden, these 16 guys came out of the woods and then they all just ran away. We were in the middle of an ambush and then they ran away afraid. I can't wait to meet the angel who stood on our car and said, you mess with these people, you're in trouble. 
But isn't that so like us? We want to help God out. We want to grab our tire and iron and say, God, let me help you. I know the Bible says turn the other cheek, but I'd like to give him a tire iron. We do it all of the time. Now listen to what Jesus responds to Mary. Because we go to God with all kinds of prayer. Mary goes to him and says, listen, we've got no wine. Look at his response in verse 4. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern, underline that, have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. See, Mary goes to God in prayer. And oftentimes people will come to me, I prayed about it. I prayed about it. I'm going to do it. I prayed about it. I prayed about it. But what did God say about it? You see, oftentimes we go to God with, you better do this. You better do this. In Jesus' name, amen. But what does God say about it? And he responds and he says, woman. Now, you've got to understand, this is not a term of disrespect. It's what he calls her on the cross. No, this is a term of a change of relationship. Mary, for 30 years you've been my mother. But now... I must be your Lord. Our relationship has got to change, Mary. You're coming to me and directing me. Mary, no, I must be your directive. And Mary, I know what's on your heart. I know your concerns. You have motive. You, I know what you're thinking, Mary. You see, for over 30 years, Mary has dealt with the scorn. Mary, we know what you and Joseph did before you got married. We know that Jesus happened before you got married. Mary, this, he's the son of God thing. Mary, what are you talking? Even in John chapter 8, at the trial of Jesus, listen, they accuse him. The big accusation was, you're an illegitimate child. And Mary dealt with this scorn. And Mary dealt with this embarrassment. And Mary dealt with this shame. And she comes to Jesus. She's at this wedding. And all of her friends, all of her family are there. And she goes, Jesus, now's your opportunity. Show everybody I didn't lie. Show them you're the son of God. Show them you're what I've told them you are. And Jesus says, Mary, I'm not concerned about what people think. I'm not concerned about your concerns. I'm concerned about my kingdom, Mary. You see, how many of us have concerns, stress and anxiety that keeps us from the ministry? That's where Mary's at. She can't minister. People are talking about her. People are ashamed of her. People are in the middle, and she's the host of this whole wedding. She's stuck. She doesn't have any more wine, and it's Jesus' disciples' fault. She goes, look, we got a problem. You, bet, you better do something. And how many of us are filled with stress and anxiety? And it's keeping us from advancing the kingdom of God. And Paul says, when you are stressed, when you have anxiety, pray. Don't be anxious for anything, but choose to pray. And Mary has a decision to make. Am I going to allow you to be my Lord? Or am I going to keep you as my little son? Am I going to become a true disciple or not? I want you to see her response. Take a look at verse 5. His mother said to the servants, underline this, whatever he says to you to do, do it. Do you hear that? She goes to him, I need some wine. You need to do something. Vindicate me. She has a moment in prayer with Jesus. And the wonderful thing about prayer is prayer changes us. 
It moves us from the place of let my will be done to let your will be done. It moves us from the place of I'm in control to God, I'm going to surrender your control. That's why the peace of God that transcends understanding, it fills our hearts and minds when we pray because we realize we've got an incredible God that we're giving our concern to and whatever he answers will give us peace. Whatever. Do you hear her response? If Jesus tells you to do something, do it. If he doesn't tell you to do something, don't do it. But whatever he tells you, she has changed from Jesus, do this, to I will do whatever you want me to do. Whatever it is that you want me to do. Let me tell you something. Mother Mary, she is giving the best advice that any one of us could ever receive. Listen, you want to be a true disciple? Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. Listen, you want to be a true disciple. Whatever it is that Jesus tells you to do, do it. No matter what you're walking through. Turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 105. Listen to the pangs of pain of David. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 106. I've sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I'm afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. In other words, I'm walking through my greatest trial, but your word can revive me. Except I pray the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord. Teach me your judgments. Verse 109. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I've not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I've taken as a heritage forever, for they are rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. David is reporting and he says, listen, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm walking through, even if I'm in my garden of Gethsemane, I will do your word. Because when they came for Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, let me explain what he says. This must happen so that scripture will be fulfilled. You see, if you want to be a true disciple, it's a decision that we are going to make Jesus our Lord. That's our third point. Make him your Lord. Listen to the advice of Mary. Now listen. Making him your Lord, I think it's three very simple things. Jesus says in John chapter 7, whoever is thirsty, I want you to come to me. I want you to come to me. And he who believes in me, in what the scripture has said, out of him will flow rivers of living water. Now, water is made up of three particles, H2O. A little simple acronym for you to remember. Listen, H2O, the first letter H, honor God. If you want to make him your Lord, choose to honor God. Now listen, honor is different than obedience. Honor is different than obedience. Obedience is God tells you to do and you do it. Honor is, I know God's heart, and I do it without him telling me. Let's take tithing. You see, that affects our pocket, right? And I know God's heart is that I do it, but yet it's so hard when, well, there's so much on me. God, I don't know if I can be obedient to your word. It's so difficult to honor you now. Honor? I know God's heart. And so I choose to do, listen, despite the way I feel about it. 
My kids don't like to make their beds. In fact, they hate it. My one son hates to bathe. (laughs) Son, it's time to bathe. Oh, most people enjoy water, fresh water running over them. My son, he likes to smell. My wife has to wash his sheets every two days. He just reeks because he plays frisbee, he plays football, he plays basketball. He's just all over the place and he reeks. Son, it's time to bathe. And I long for the day that he comes to me and says, Dad, today I'm going to go take a bath. (laughs) You got it. No longer is it obedience. It's now honor. Listen, the second H, H2O, humble yourself. If you want to make him your Lord and do whatever he says for you to do, then it's a choice. James says this, humble yourself before the Lord. It's a, cho- it's a decision. Thirdly, listen. Oh, obey the great command. Obey the great command. Love is the most excellent way. Love God. Love people. You see, this is how we make him our Lord. This is how we follow the advice of Mary that whatever he tells us to do, we choose to honor God, humble ourselves, and obey the great command. And that makes him Lord of our life, controller and master. But number four, if you're taking note, let's look at John chapter two, verse five again, because there's another group that's going to be obedient. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Underline that word servants because we are the servants of God. Verse 6, now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. If you're taking note, being a true disciple, it's going to be a walk of faith. A servant. Becoming a servant. Let me tell you about first century Rome servants. I read a book recently about on how to handle your slave. And it was a Roman man in the first century that wrote this book. And he wrote a book, it was a manual on how to handle your slave. Let me tell you, slaves didn't have a choice. They couldn't, they didn't have a democracy. It wasn't a matter of whether or not you had a a feeling about it. No, you had one choice to do what the master said. You see, in the Roman world, there were more slaves than there were Romans. And so the slaves had to be controlled. And so this fella, he writes a book on how to control your slave. And the overall arching principle of the book is they have no choice. Servant. They have no choice. Secondly, I want you to see this. Look, six water pots. Now, let me explain what these are. Big, huge. In fact, Pastor Jeff will see some in Israel. They're big, huge pots. They hold about 20 to 30 gallons of water apiece. And when you would walk by a Jewish person's home, you would see these water pots and you would go, wow, they are so religious. They wash their hands. They wash their feet. They wash their face. They've got a manner and a right of how to show everybody how pure they are. It was a religious symbol. And as people looked at those water pots walking into the house, wow, those guys are religious. How much time did you prepare getting ready to come to church? Oh, I'm not talking about your makeup. I'm talking about your heart. See, oftentimes we we have a show 
And those water pots are out there. Man, we look good. Our hands are, we know how to raise our hands just like this. It's up like this, about 90 degrees, hands out like this. Now, the new way for the young people is like this. They just kind of, like, they, they do, this is the holy look, you know? And we've got to look about us, but do we have a relationship? You see, walking by faith is becoming a servant. Walking by faith is having a relationship where, listen to this. I talked to my mom this week, and she has a friend that was just diagnosed with cancer. And this is what her friend says. Pam, I am going to allow this test to become my testimony. And no matter what I walk through, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have determined to know Christ and him crucified. I have been crucified already with Christ. This test will be my testimony. And when you have an intimate relationship with Jesus, no matter what comes in your walk of faith, you will turn it into a testimony. But this water, oh, it's 20 to 30 gallons of water. No, I told you I lived in Liberia. We didn't have running water. I used to have to go walk down to the well, get my water, walk up this hill, pour the bucket into a big 20, 30-gallon barrel, and then go back down and get more water, and then go back up again and pour the water out. Well, one day I decided I'm not getting water. And I broke curfew. It was about 11 o'clock at night, and I walked down to the well, and I decide I'm bathing at the well. So I, get in, I go down there, I draw my water, and I, 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 well, let me just tell you something. When you bathe, you don't have clothes on. So I'm there and I'm taking my bath and all of a sudden I hear some soldiers walking on the road. So I go down like this. The moon's shining. So am I. So I go down like this and all of a sudden they start shooting at me. I broke curfew. So I start taking off and I'm running across our property. And there was an old missionary. She's about 75 years old. She looks out the window and she goes, now I am streaking buck naked across our, our property. And they are shooting at me. And she looks and she goes, Chet, is that you? <laughs> Let me tell you something. It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes a heart to want to draw that much water. And Jesus is going to direct them because they are servants. Now listen, it's water. And it's amazing to me that God uses very natural things like you and me to do supernatural things. Blows my mind. It's just water. Some of us were like Elijah. Unless you show up in the earthquake, it's not you. Unless you show up with a big firestorm, it ain't you. But Jesus came, God came with a still small voice. You see, God is in the natural, and sometimes we need to look right in front of us to see the opportunity to walk by faith. Take a look at verse 7. Jesus said, this isn't a thunderous voice. This is not a command. This is a a conversation. It's simple communication in prayer with Jesus when we allow him to speak into our life. What does it take for God to get your attention? We lived in Montana. I was born in the Bahamas, raised there and Florida. I have no idea what black ice is. No idea. We were driving home from church in a blizzard. We hit black ice. What does a Floridian do? I hit the brakes. Me and my family go 40 foot over a cliff. Turn one and a half times, every window is broken. By the grace of God, we lived. 
as we're going over, we're going over the cliff, I scream, we're all going to die. My wife screams, Lord Jesus, protect us by the power of your name. Very thankful Jesus listened to her prayer that particular day. We all get out of the car. The windshield is on me. The windshield is on me. We're turned over on our side. The windshield is on me. I get out of the car. I go and grab my Bible because it's fallen out of the window into the ground. I grab my Bible. I pull it out from underneath the car. The car goes another 40 foot down the cliff. My Bible wedged us in to keep us from going further down the cliff. There is nothing like standing on the word of God. Amen? There was a man who saw us go over the cliff and he said, he stopped and he helped us all get out of the car. The next Sunday, him and his family came to church and they all got saved. Now listen, I told God that Sunday afternoon, next time you want someone saved, send me, I'll just go to the house. And you know what God said to me? You're too hard headed. I've been trying to get your attention for a long time. You see, are we like Paul? How long are you going to kick against the goads, Paul? I've been trying to get your attention for a long time, Saul. I've been trying to get your attention. You've been kicking against the goads for a long time, or will you choose to be Matthew? You see, a walk by faith, Jesus passes by, and Jesus says, follow me. And the Bible says in Mark, listen, immediately he left his table. Let me tell you something. Delayed obedience is rebellion. Immediate obedience is honor. Delayed obedience. How many of you like when you tell your kids, wash the dishes, they go, I'll get to it tomorrow. We love that, don't we? No, we don't. We get the glue stick. We put them in the room. We ground them. Thank God Jesus doesn't spank us. Because a spank from the hand of God would probably send us to Jupiter. Praise God for his grace. Now listen to his command. Whatever he tells you to do, listen to what he says. Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. How do you obey? When God asks you to do something, with all the energy that it takes, do you fill to the brim or are you a halfway Christian? They filled it to the brim. Go on with me if you would. Verse 8, and he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of feast had tasted the water and was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had underlined this drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you kept the good wine until now. The be- this was the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Listen. If you're going to walk by faith, listen to what these servants do. They fill the water to the brim. They just simply obey. Too often, listen carefully, when we don't know the plan of God, you want me to fill it with water? Jesus, we need wine. This doesn't make sense. I'm not being a good steward of my time. No, listen, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Even if it doesn't make sense, think of Noah. Build an ark. Really? There's no water. Whatever he tells you. Then he says, draw now. Draw now. God knows the plan. 
Our job is simply to be obedient. Don't make it complicated. Just draw it. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understand, your own understanding. He's going to make the way straight. Listen, obedience is now. He says, draw now. Don't delay. But then he says, take the water. See, we know it's water because I asked you to underline the little parenthetical statement in verse 9. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. I want you to take this water. Draw the water out and I want you to take it to the master. Are you kidding me? You want me to take water to the master who's expecting wine. Do you have any idea what this can cost me? I don't know if you read that book on how to take care of your slave, Jesus. They will cut my hands off. You see, if a servant made a mistake and delivered the master something that he shouldn't have delivered, he could get his hands cut off. You want me to take water when my master is expecting wine? Wait a second. This is not safe. You want to be a true disciple? It ain't safe. Let me tell you something. Don't ever think the mission is safe. The Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy, she asks the beavers, is Aslan safe? Listen to the beaver's response. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he ain't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's when C.S. Lewis is trying to explain God, he's making it very clear. Lucy, the ride that you are on, it ain't going to be safe, but it's good. And too often we like safety. We like security. We like a white picket fence and for nothing to change. But let me tell you the fruit of this faith. As they're walking, something happened to that water. It was changed. And the fruit of being a true servant, you're going to change. Something supernatural is going to happen in you and you are going to move from the place of misery to the place of joy. You're going to move from the son of thunder to the apostle of love. You're going to move from Simon to Cephas. God is going to supernaturally take you naturally and change you supernaturally. And listen what's going to happen. Your wife is going to love you more. Your husband's going to love you more. Your kids are going to be more honoring Others are going to enjoy when the master tasted this supernatural thing. He looks on, he goes, wow. There's a fruit in being a true disciple. And overall is this. Jesus in verse 11, he manifested his glory. That's our job, isn't it? You see, if we're going to be a true disciple and listen to Mary, whatever he tells you to do, do it. The goal of it is only this, to give God glory in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you asking now in the name of Jesus that you would take this word that you've given us. And Lord, we pray, we humbly ask in prayer that we would be a true disciple. Help us to hear the exhortation from Mother Mary. Whatever he tells us to do, whatever you tell us to do, let us do it. In the name of Jesus, amen.